Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another episode of Autos List. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined by my good pal Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you? I'm good, mate. It's good to be doing this. I think this is going to be a, a fun one today. Yeah, really looking forward to it. It's always good fun just having a look at some exciting strikers um, in this instance uh, around the world. And it very much is around the world in this episode too. So uh, you're looking forward to, to jumping in. Yeah, we had a little bit of feedback from someone last time saying they were all players that they knew already and they were used to having like learning about some new players so hopefully uh hopefully you'll enjoy uh this one that we're talking about a few uh players that you won't have seen in in the championship or, or the premier league well at least not all of them yeah and i think they're all super fun in their own ways as well which will be good to talk about but before we get to that let's just talk a little bit about the position that we're scouting for in this episode so we've already said we're looking for strikers um, I've got two things I think we need to talk about contextually before we get into this first is I want to talk a little bit about the position in the squad that we're trying to fill uh, and then we can move on from there to talk a little bit about the role on the pitch itself um, both of which I think are, are interesting questions so in terms of how you see this player that we're scouting for fitting into the squad how are you sort of conceiving of them you mean as in what position they would have in the hierarchy do you mean as in Bam- Bamford is number one number nine kind of thing yeah sure and how you how you see replacing are we simply replacing Bamford or are we looking for a player of Bamford's like or with with different skill sets I think so what we've tried to look at here is we we're we're trying to talk about um players that we think could play the role that that Bamford is playing and I feel rather than looking at a um, backup role, which is what we could look at, um, knowing that Bamford is and has been the like undisputed number nine. Um, I think the fact that he will turn 29 at the start of next season and the fact that he's just had a season where he has been injured for like 80% of it, you need to think about genuine competition and a player that might end up taking over that role from him I think that's the smart thing to do like you could end up in a difficult situation if Bamford comes back fit and and firing doesn't get injured again scores loads of goals and then you're like trying to figure out how to 
how to make it, this all work. Um, but then you're just in the situation where you're like, hey, we can actually rotate uh, for once. We we can use different players at different times and, and not have to run players into the ground, which I think uh, would be a, a nice little change from what we've experienced in the last few years. And the other thing to say, I suppose, is that we are now playing a system which is accommodating of two strikers if we need it. Um, we have seen Jesse Marsh play the four triple two um, at Leeds. Uh, we've maybe switched into more of a four two three one right now, but again, I think that's probably because of personnel. And if you were to bring in a second striker, there's always the option that you could argue to them, well, okay, maybe you won't topple Bamford from the, the hierarchy, but there's always the option of playing alongside him. Yeah, yeah, true. So let's talk a little bit about the the role itself. Um, I think this is a tricky question to talk about for a number of reasons. One is that we don't really know what we're looking for in a in a lot of ways. Um, it may make sense to look back on some of um, Jesse Marsh's previous strikers, but I think when you do that, it's tricky as well because for a big chunk of time he had Erling Haaland as his as one of his strikers, and it's it's all well and good saying we need to look for a striker like Erling Haaland, right? But <laughs> I think there's also like the it's worth saying at this point that there's a lot of options within the the two striker system if he chooses to go with that next season. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can fill that that position. So how do you see the that position, that role, and and how would you sort of think about that role as a as a scout? profile yeah I think one of the important things for me in looking at all of these players was trying to think about how they can play back to goal um, because uh, we're talking about a system where one of the main um, things that you're looking to do in terms of progress the ball is get the ball up to the striker quickly that might be to their feet that might be having to take the ball on the chest that might be winning headers so um Bamford uh, is someone that is good at that. I think he's he's got better at that during his time at Leeds as well because I would say in his first season that kind of felt a bit like it was lacking a bit, but then from the second season onwards he he became a lot more uh, combative um and I think his on the uh, on the ground link play has always been really good. Um and if you think back to the first half of the Norwich game, that's when Leeds looked probably at our best uh, under Marsh, where we could get the ball up front, the striker holds it, other players come up and, and join in with the attacks. Um, and when he's not been playing, Leeds are just massively missing that. It's just Dan James sort of running around and there's no one really there to hold it. So I think that's something that had to be important. Also, if you go to um, second half of the Southampton game, we had Joffe on, uh, who is a player that I love. Uh, I've said that lots of times, but he was sort of so dynamic in his movement that he made our attack better, but also he would often get the ball in the channel and then make a cutback. And then there isn't that striker present in the box. Uh, to get on the end of chances. So I'm really thinking about a central presence, so to hold the ball up, but also get on the end of chances in and around the six-yard box, the penalty spot area. 
Yeah, and so much of what we've talked about on this channel since Jesse Marsh came in is about how so much of the attacking play, at least, is centrally dominated. It's about it's about getting the ball through the middle, getting the ball into that square of, of players between like two centre-backs and two centre-midfielders and just creating chaos. So I, I think as well, another thing that I was interested in is how these players are going to play off the shoulder of the last man, but in a, in a sort of very direct central space where they're looking for those little gaps in between the last line that they can, they can um, uh, run through onto. And another phrase that I've used a lot recently is pinning, pinning the centre-backs. So um, a lot of this is about getting the opposition into transition moments so that the, the, their defensive unit are running backwards uh, and if you have a, a centre forward who's sort of in between the two centre backs running towards goal then you'll you'll achieve that as well and that's really useful just in general in terms of the general dynamic of the team as well so um, I think all of those in mind um, let's jump in and talk about the players themselves so we've got I think a few options here we've got a couple of options that we're going to I guess dismiss fairly quickly, um, but there are options that are talked about a, a fair amount. And then we've got um, three, I think, more realistic options. Um, and we'll talk about the, the context behind how likely each of those is. But let's start with the first option. So the first option is currently in the discourse. He's all over Twitter after a good performance last night against Chelsea. Um, he's a player who's already played for Leeds. It is Eddie Nketiah. Um, obviously, Eddie Nketiah is a a player who came through the youth system at Chelsea, moved to Arsenal and has been at Arsenal ever since, but for that loan move at Leeds and is coming to the end of his contract. Um, and so he will be, I think, a free uh, transfer in the summer. Um, what do you make of Eddie and Ketia, Josh? And then having talked about maybe his play style stuff, what do you make of the the option as a as a realistic sort of piece of business for Leeds? Yes, it's a funny one with Eddie because if if you look back on his time with us I remember sort of feeling like he wasn't a very good presser um and part I mean partly because I think I was comparing him directly to Bamford who was just looked so good at that at that time um but then Arsenal fans love Nketia as a presser like they they say he's their best like pressing striker and I saw a tweet yesterday that said like uh Eddie's um first half was like summed up by the fact that he sort of pressed and and scored the first goal and then he had a poor layoff and then Chelsea scored an equaliser. So he's a player who I think, I just think of him as a sort of pressy poacher. Um, I think th that feels pretty self-explanatory as what, what that is. I don't personally feel that there's very much to the rest of his game yeah, and then in terms of the, the piece of business, I guess a lot of people suggesting that, well, it's a free transfer, what's the worst that can happen? You can get a striker mm -hmm. who maybe isn't quite fitting in the system. Yeah, and and I think what's important to remember uh, in that is there's pretty much always a fee. Um, it's just that you end up paying the agent and the player a lot more a lot more money. Um, like the classic example of this is that, uh, the rumoured signing on fee for Kylian Mbappe at Real Madrid is going to be a hundred million. So it's just like PSG are not getting that money. It's just he's getting that money. Not that Eddie would be getting a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it would stack up in terms of cost. He would obviously be leveraging that situation for his own um, salary needs as well. So he would be coming out with a, a pretty decent salary. I'm not necessarily mm. against the idea of playing. Eddie in our system I do think that you could maybe play him alongside another striker like Pat but I think in terms of the fact that 
you need, as you've said, we need to think about replacing Pat. I don't think he's that that sort of profile. And uh, at this mm. point in time, it's better to, I think, replace Pat uh, than than to bring in another striker. Who then we need to um, find another partner to play alongside in in a few months' yep. time. Anyway, um, a, a striker who is like that, but again, is English and probably would come with a little bit of uh, English tax attached to him, is. Dominic Solanke again someone else who came through the Chelsea youth system um, hasn't I don't think actually played a senior appearance for Chelsea but um, did the usual the usual uh, loan move to Vitesse in in the Netherlands um, performed well there and then had that early move to, to Liverpool which didn't work out so well and is now at Bournemouth and is tearing up for them uh, albeit in the in the championship so what do you make of Dom Solanke? Yeah I, I really like him so I think He's probably a player that's going to carry quite a lot of baggage uh, in his career because of his bad start to life in the Premier League. Um, he just did so badly at Bournemouth uh, to start with um, that I think people just think, oh, he's he's not good enough. He's never going to be good enough. Um, but he's he's only 24 and he's had two excellent seasons in the Championship. He's nearly at 30 goals um, for this season. Um, and I think we know from our own experience um, that players who play very well in the Championship can step up and do do well in the Premier League. And um, I was watching, because uh, I'm a weirdo, I was watching the Everton-Leicester uh, game last night. Uh, and I think Kiernan Dewsbury Hall is a great example of that as well. Played really, really well for Luton last season, stepped up into the Premier League and, and he's not really missed a beat. Um, and I, I think Solanke could do that. And he basically, to me, he can do all the things that Bamford does well. Um, he's got strength. Um, I think he, he can poach goals in the box. Um, he's got a good bit of pace about him. I wouldn't say he's like absolutely rapid, but um, he's got that strength alongside his pace so that I think that um, even if defenders are kind of able to catch up with him, he's able to hold them off Um I don't think he's quite got the the technical touch that that Bamford has got. I think Bamford is really really like underrated in that regard how how good he is at um uh being able to uh bring other players into the game in tight spaces. But I I wouldn't say that he's bad at it. I just think that Pat's really really good at it. Yeah, I've really enjoyed watching Dom Solanke actually in the last couple of days because he's a player who pretty much dropped off my radar when they um, when Bournemouth dropped down out of the the Premier League, but he's been he's been excellent from from what I've seen. Uh, again, echo a lot of what you say. Does a lot of the things that that Bamford does, and in fact, maybe maybe even re- reminded me the most of Bamford out of all of the players. Yeah, I would say that that we looked at. Really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that he does. He, like you say, he's he's a, he's a poacher, but he can also finish from from distance. Um, has a he has a real. I guess eye for goal, maybe that's a cliche, but it felt like um, the, the games where I watched, he scored a couple of goals where uh, he just knew where the goal was and was able to get a shot away and, and, and was hitting bottom corners um, in, in a manner reminiscent of, of Bamford in, in the Premier League last season. Uh, and yeah, likes to come deep to help out the build-up play, but at the same time uh, gets into the box when he's needed. I felt he had a really good understanding of the game in terms of when it was good for him to drop deep and when it was good mm-hmm. for him to then mm-hmm. get forward. And a lot of the time you'll see him dropping in to to help the progression of the ball around the halfway line. And then you'll immediately see him getting on that 
line towards the the penalty spot um, and being in dangerous areas uh, as well. In terms of this as a piece of business, how are you feeling about the context of this? Because obviously, I think despite the fact that he's maybe uh, been on the wane, I think there would still be a little bit of uh, of a fee attached, right? Yeah, I think he would be the worst value because I think you say um, there's English tax in the first place. And also now, I think so when we first started making this list, Bournemouth looked like they might kind of possibly drop into the playoffs um now i think they're gonna go up automatically um and so they're able to kind of um yeah they're they're obviously able to hold on to their best players rather than potentially losing them and i think they would they would want a a fee like well well in the 20s i think for him now um which i think we wouldn't want to do that i don't think yeah, so I think we will dismiss both of those two players, although I think both of them would be completely workable options within our system. I think we just think there's probably better value for, for money and maybe a slightly better fit in, in the case of Eddie and Ketia. But let's look at the three other options that we've got in maybe slightly more detail. Now, you may think that uh, a podcast that has talked about creature Kvaric Scalia wouldn't struggle with with a, a name as simply simple looking as this one, but Charlotte de Ketelara is how you're supposed to say it. That was really impressive. I will accept Charles de Ketelara. <laughs> I always thought it was de Ketelare. So when when you sent me the uh, yeah. the voice note of de Ketelara, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's good too. I think that's good. I was a little bit afraid. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about Dikita Lara because he is a is a fun player. I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Pat, but it may just simply be that they both look like they should be on the set of Brideshead Revisited. He looks like him, doesn't he? He's got the, <laughs> yeah. he's got the foppy hair as well. That, <laughs> That's that right, sort of... blonde foppy hair, yeah. Um, but but Dikita Lara is someone who has been at uh, Bruges his whole time, so all the way through the youth system. Uh, and I guess the, the beauty of being in the Belgian league means that Bruges could play him from the off um, fairly early on. So he's got uh, approaching 100 appearances for them. Um, again, another player who it's been fun to watch. I did know quite a bit about Dikita Lara because I've watched a lot of Noah Lang. Um, not to, I should maybe have given you a trigger warning on that, Hobbsy, sorry. <laughs> ah. But it was good fun watching. It was good fun watching Dikita Lara because I, I just got so much of a chance to see the link up between him and Lang and it was uh, yeah very enjoyable to watch. Um, Dikita Lara also has Belgium caps um, I think six but only starting from 2020 so he's a relatively recent um, arrival for, for them but he's gone through their whole um, development system with the youth sides as well. Talk to us about Dikita Lara what do you make of him Josh? Yeah I mean he is um, like you said he's just very very fun um he is kind of um i would say this season i think he's become more of a striker um in previous seasons i think he was maybe a bit more of an attacking midfielder um so he's got that ability um to to drop deep and and create which he still does uh want to do quite a lot so he sort of um, will create chances as much as he will get on the end of chances for himself. Um, he is probably the most technical out of all of these um, players that we've looked at. So his game is is all about um, close control, less about um, about athleticism, less about um, sort of really like bursts into the box. He he's more like. I would say like careful in his positioning um and yeah 
I would say he's going to be the best out of all of these at bringing other players into the game. Um, but he maybe wants to do it in a slightly different way to some of the other players that we're going to look at. I would say he would prefer to drop a little bit deep and if he can turn and then bring players into the game. Um, not that he doesn't do back-to-goal play, but I think the the fact that he's played a bit as a 10 as well makes him kind of want want to turn in that um in that central space rather than play back to goal all the time. I felt as though when he was playing back to goal, he wasn't maybe as physical as I would have liked to have seen, mm. which is weird because I felt as though he's decent aerially, but a, a lot of the time when he had a centre-back up his back, he wasn't maybe quite as strong as I would have wanted him to be, but I don't know if you noticed that. I think that's fair. I think he's he's got a a decent frame. Like I think phys- he's, he's quite like Bamford, like in in a lot of his physical attributes i'm just not sure if he uses them as well as as bamford does like like i said i feel like bamford sort of learned to be more uh combative and i i don't think that uh the kitalara's kind of got that yet and i think part of that is the league that he's playing in where he maybe doesn't have to where i think um in the the top divisions of England, you you absolutely have to, and I think that's something that if he was playing up front for us, particularly in the system that that we're now playing, he would have to uh, adapt to that. It's an interesting point that you raise because I think a lot of people would raise that question about performances at the top end of the uh, Jupiler Pro League in Belgium versus performing in the Premier League. So, how would you anticipate that? transition being for him it can be a challenge uh like one of the games i watched i don't know if you watched this one but i watched him play against beer shot who are one of the lower teams uh and it was honestly like it was just very very easy uh for bruges they were just um it, it seemed a bit like a training game <laughs> like that they, they were just not competitive beer shot um and Obviously, in the Premier League, every single game is is highly competitive. Uh, Jesse Marsh has talked about it a lot. I think he's obviously uh, realised that nah, this is not like the Austrian Bundesliga or or like even like the Bundesliga. Like this is all these teams have ways that they can hurt you, uh, and you you're going to have to work to score. Um, so I'd say that it is a hard. Um, it is a hard adaptation to come from a league like that where it's quite imbalanced. But then equally, there are players and teams that uh, that maximise that. So you have Brighton, who've who've signed a lot of players from Belgium. Trossard um, was signed from Genk. And they also signed, uh, obviously this is not Belgium, but they signed Mwepu as well from from Austria. Um, so there, there are teams that do that. Dan Juma is now killing it in the Champions League for for Villarreal but he signed for Bournemouth obviously they he they went down but he got injured like quite early in that time so he never really got his go in the Premier League um but I think he would have done well I think it's worth saying as well that when you look at Bruges' performances in the Champions League group stages, now yes, they did finish bottom of the group that they were in, but they were in a group with Manchester City, PSG and RB Leipzig, which is probably a group of death really, and they put up some pretty good performances. In yeah, the, they in did that. all right. They beat they beat PSG, didn't they? Drew with, PS- they drew? Drew with PSG and they beat Leipzig uh, and then they lost the, the final four games. But um, in those 
games I think I watched a few of them because I think it's always good to get a sense of how these players perform in European competition and I thought uh, Decatur Lara was pretty good in those mm. in those games as well and I think that's probably probably worth saying yeah I'd agree what else do you want to talk about with with respect to Decatur Lara yeah I think the thing with him uh, is that he is probably the highest potential out of any of these players um, I, I mean potential is a funny thing because you know it's so hard to to predict how players will will develop but he's sort of rated by all these various different um different analytics things out there he's rated as one of the the top young players in the world um so i think he will carry a, the kind of fee that comes with um that kind of uh reputation uh, and also as well as the fee just um lots of people sort of vying for his signature lots of teams so uh i think it's always possible to get players like that when they're from leagues like the pro league because the very big teams don't necessarily want to take the risk yet they would rather see them take a step first um but you there's still tons of teams in the in the top 5 leagues that would be in in competition with with a team like leeds uh, going for a player like like him yeah, and it's worth saying that Nico Schlotterbeck at Freiburg has, has just been allegedly, well, has allegedly accepted a deal of around 25 million euros to go to uh, Dortmund. Now, Dortmund are a big side, um, but that's a, a lowish fee. Um, and I, I, again, for me, Nico Schlotterbeck is probably one of the highest ceiling centre-backs in the world right now. Uh, but a lot of clubs, as you've said, just aren't willing to take the gamble until he's performed, I suppose, at a, at a higher level. So do you think that sort of trajectory is possible then for for someone like Decatur Lara yeah I think so I I mean I I would say that he will also be a fee something like like that um so I think I think the highest I mean he might he probably will be their record sale and I think their record sale at the moment is around that kind of fee of I think it's 20 million euros just over and I, I think funnily enough I think it was I think it was Wesley who went to Aston Villa, which is which seems funny now because he's just got replaced by two other strikers. So that's one one thing to to keep in mind. But I would say that that's that was a lot of money for him. In terms of for a club like Leeds, do you think he's the sort of player that they should be sinking maybe twenty five mil on? Depends what the rest of the budget is. I I think I think if you've still got budget elsewhere, then like I think it's a pretty good spend because you're quite likely to at the very least make that money back if not a big profit um so i mean I, I'm, it's obviously a risk there are always risks signing players from leagues like this but i would say there's risks in in every transfer it's just if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How you, uh, like, it's what risk you choose to take, really. Well, let's move on to the next option that we have, which is Valentin Castellanos, uh, known to his pals as Tati. Um, He currently plays for New York City FC in MLS, Major League Soccer. He's a really interesting player, actually, career-wise, because he starts off playing youth soccer in Argentina, which is where he's born. I should say he's 23 years old. Um, he, he is born in Argentina, starts going through the youth system there, but ends up in Chile, in uh, playing for Universidad de Chile, uh, which is a, a team there. Uh, goes out on loan to a team who are in Uruguay, called Torque, uh, and then eventually goes on loan to New York City FC in 2018, and he's bought by them the the season after uh, and he's had again approaching about 90 appearances for them a uh, very prolific goal scorer in MLS he's uh, has around 40 goals there um he's also playing for the Argentina under 23s team at the moment as well uh, and Castellanos is a really exciting talent i think he's probably in terms of all-round ability the best out of all of these players potentially um could challenge Decatur Lara for that highest ceiling uh, player but I think there's there's still a lot we need to know about the way that Castellanos plays um, before we get a sense of, of, of where he's at in terms of his overall career trajectory so talk to me about Castellanos Josh. Yeah I think he looks a really classy number nine um, we both agreed that he's probably the most rounded like of, of all of these so just kind of feels like a striker who can do everything that you want a striker to do um, he presses well. He's got he's got a real intensity about the way that he goes after the ball. Um, he plays back to goal well. Um, again, I would still say Bamford is is better at that, but but I wouldn't say that there are issues in in the way that he he does that role. Um, I think he yeah looks like a player that can score all sorts of goals, and I think he will. I think that would continue into the into the Premier League I think he looks like a player who can play at, at a higher level and score goals at a higher level um it is a risk to take a player from the MLS because uh the MLS is like we talk about an unbalanced league in the uh, the other um like with the pro league but it's almost like MLS is unbalanced in terms of some really good attackers and some really rubbish defenders so, <laughs> so it can be hard to uh, to judge players because uh, of that sort of weird imbalance across teams. And I think that partly comes because of salary cap. 
and teams are just wanting to spend all of their money on on forwards um but i think he he just looks like a player who who would suit a, a higher level um and i think he my attention was brought to him because he has actually been linked to us although one of these kind of like tenuous links um where it's like team talk or or whatever we we haven't heard phil hay or, or graham smith uh mention him in in conjunction with leeds but i would be very happy if it turned out to be true because I, I think he's great what are the motivations behind those links do you know is there is there any reason why it might be the case that we were linked to him because that's usually what happens right there's usually some kind of knob that they latch onto that you know i guess Marcelo Bielsa once coached him when he was at an under 23 team or something. I don't know if it all have just been the fact that at the time Bielsa was still our manager and he was Argentinian and he'd also played in Chile and Bielsa had managed in Chile. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, I think he kind of strikes me as the the type of player that Orta would be very sort of uh, on top of because he likes to keep his eye out for top performing players in less fashionable leagues let's talk a little bit about physicality because physic physicality wise he's quite different to Bamford I think he's he struck me as someone who's who's maybe a little bit more athletic than Bamford and um, I'm wondered what you thought of that as a as an attribute yeah I I think I think he um I mean like Bamford's really I think he's deceptively fast but I think um Castellanos looks like I think he could be a little bit nippier but he's sort of I've got him in my head I'm thinking I didn't check the heights which I should have done but I think he's he looked to me a tiny bit taller a little bit slimmer I'm on Wikipedia and it's saying that he's five foot ten which feels right to me yeah that that if that's true then he's not taller (laughs) Great scouting work from me there, but um, I do think the camera angles at MLS do make players look massive for yeah. some reason. I don't know why that is the case, but but I I think uh, yeah I think I think he's certainly like whether or not I would say he's more athletic. I think he's he is an athletic player. I think he's he's quick. Um, he was he was com- a lot more comfortable like using his physicality than uh, Dikita Lara. Um, he was a lot better, I would say, like backing in to, to defenders, which I think is something that should be important in this kind of uh, system where you're potentially asking this player to act as a target man at times. Um, they need to be able to do that sort of on the halfway line, 30 yards from goal, or even like if they're receiving it into their feet on the edge of the box, back up the defender and then lay it off to to someone arriving to to get on on the end of a shot or something like that. So I think he's good at that at that side of the game. Yeah, something that struck me when I was watching him is that he definitely seems like the sort of player who tries to achieve things through his physicality, especially up against center backs and stuff. So he really really harries um opponent defenders on the ball um, when it looks like a lost cause and I think that you know even even sort of in situations where there would be like free kicks or corners where he would just really be trying to jump over 
defenders to try and get to the ball and, and I, I quite like that about him and I think that that would work really well in the, in a Marsh system um, and then I guess in terms of the pressing stuff like just looking at his data over the last couple of seasons in, in MLS and yeah his high pressing numbers are just through the roof so yeah pushing pushing like the 100th percentile in both of them um, he's clearly good aerial as well which suggests that he's probably a little bit taller than 5'10 five, five, and just all around his, his numbers were really impressive I think maybe the only area where he was a little bit low as dribbling. He's not. He doesn't. He's not dribbling at a at a rate uh, more than the average in MLS. And his success rates are, are pretty low as well, which surprised me a little bit because from watching him, I actually thought he was quite good on the ball. Um, there's a few situations where in tight spaces he would get out of those spaces and win fouls. So, um, what did you make of his dribbling actions? Yeah, I thought I thought it was decent in that in that regard. Like he had, um, he's got good quick feet. Uh, and again, he can use his physicality if he needs to sort of push past the player. Um, and uh, he's got a nice, um, like powerful first step to accelerate and, and beat players from a from a standing start. Um, yeah, lo- lots to like about about um, about that side of his game. And I think out of all of these players, I think he would score the most goals. Um, which I don't know if we've really talked about that, but his goal record, like, like I think he had 19 goals in the in MLS last season. He's got four in the uh, already this season and in the uh, the Concacaf Champions League as well. So he's just, I think he's the one who's wherever he ends up. I think he's going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, it's worth saying that MLS has only just kicked off this season, so four goals is impressive. Yeah, yeah. that's in six games. I'm with you. I really like him. I think he would really work well in the Marsh system, especially in those central spaces where you know you're almost trying to bulldoze the ball through the middle and achieve goals in that way. I think he would fit in perfectly. I genuinely think that that he would be a great player to get in. In terms of this as a business deal, how would you be looking at it, Josh? Yeah, I think so. When you think that it's New York City, you're dealing with the City Group here. This is this is Manchester City. This is Manchester City we're talking about. <laughs> Manchester yeah. City. <laughs> but um, so that it's then a question of is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? So there's one part of me that I didn't mention this, but as he's effectively owned by Man City, often if there's a player they think is of that kind of like Premier League level, they just buy that player from from one of their sister clubs for Man City and then they sell that player and Man City can take the profits uh, and that work that helps them for FFP and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so that's just a notable thing of maybe the City group don't think that they're going to make a sale like that. I'm not, not sure. Um, I think we've obviously done like dealt with them before with Jack Harrison um, and we it seems like Orta's got good relationships there because the fact that we got Harrison for that extra season loan because of the, the pandemic which um, a lot of teams might not have wanted to do that kind of deal um, so I think that he he probably would uh, would be of a high cost for a player from MLS I'm guessing he might be about 15 million um, I think that would be maybe 15 million euros, don't know, but 10 to 15 million pounds, perhaps. Um, I'll be happy with that deal. I'll be very happy with that deal if we got it. Um, and the, and with him, I think he's young enough and stepping into a top five league for the first time 
that you could say to him like you're not first choice number nine uh, and I think he would be like okay like this is still an opportunity for me in terms of competition for his signature how do you think that would go down yeah I think that I think there will be other teams after him but I again I think like uh, like we've said earlier I think in in those kinds of um, non-top five leagues you've always got a chance if you if you're if you go in strong for a player, uh, because I think some other teams are a bit tentative and they're not sure whether they want to take that risk or not. Um, so I think if we went in with a good bid, there's always a decent decent chance. Well, let's move on to our final option before we then sum up and decide which one of these um, options is, is the best or try and decide on some sort of hierarchy. But another interesting player here, so a player called Terra Moffi, who is playing at Lorient in France at the moment, 22 years old. He's a Nigerian footballer. Uh, and again, another player with a really interesting um, route into into European football. Um, as far as I can tell from, from the information that I've got to hand, he, he uh, enters Europe in Lithuania and plays for a couple of Lithuanian clubs uh, between the years of 2017 and 2020 uh, before going to Kortrijk in... Is that in Belgium? He certainly did play in Belgium. Yeah, I I think that it's, it's Belgium. I was just making sure it wasn't from the, in the Netherlands. Uh, and then from there, he moved to Lorient in France. Um, really interesting player. Tell us about how you came across Terra Morphy, Josh. Yeah, I, you know, I think I first was aware of him, actually, from Football Manager, <laughs> which which I think is... Uh, that that happens with, uh, with a few people, I think. You find a player that is fun on, on Football Manager and check him out in real life and uh yeah straight away i was like hey he could he could really work um for us in terms of the way that that he plays and particularly in the way that we're playing now um i put him down as someone who i think can uh cause and thrive in chaos uh which i think is a big part of this way that we're trying to play like i think if you put the ball up to him He's really aggressive in going in for um, aerial duels, physical duels. Uh, he's not always the most clean uh, in how he receives the ball, which I didn't think was a, a technical issue. Uh, I've written down that he just seems to do everything at, at 100 miles an hour. So I think there are times where he could control the ball, but he's just like so busy, like, right, I'm going to do this and then this and then this and then... He hasn't actually kind of allowed himself the uh, that moment to just slow down and control the ball. But I think in the way that Marsh wants us to play in counter-pressing, it really wouldn't matter that much if, if the ball went up to him and he lost it because he was trying to do something too quickly. Because as long as the other players are around him where they should be, then we swarm and win it back and then he runs again. Um as well as uh, his sort of uh, aggression back to goal and, and trying to win it, he's always, always looking to stretch the last line, um, running behind as much as he can. Uh, he's really, really quick. Um, he is pretty wild <laughs> in terms of finishing. So uh, I looked through um, yeah some of his uh, shots over the last season and there are some where you're like, oh, that's nice and composed good finish takes it around the keeper there's another one where you're like he's literally just swinging before he's even got his feet positioned right 
and he's missing by a long way. So that's something that um, we should be aware of. Um, but it's interesting that this season he's like three goals below his XG and last season he was a couple of above his XG. And I would say like looking at the two seasons of evidence and having watched some, I would say that it's just that he's kind of average to poor <laughs> in terms of finishing. Um, but he's really, really good at getting into the right position. So he's like, um, I think over the last two seasons, he's like 80th percentile or something like that for um, non-penalty XG for strikers. And that's playing in an, a bad team in France, uh, in Lorient. So that's good signs of, of a striker that even though he might not be a great finisher, he will still consistently score goals because he's always there. And I think he's always going to be around his XG, even if just a little bit un- under. And that's, you know, Bamford has been that. So it's OK. Yeah. And there's a sense in which the Mars system is just about efficiency, right? It's about getting the ball into dangerous areas and, and scoring them. So that's clearly going to be something that would be useful in, in our team. I guess... Moffy is clearly the the most I don't want to say one dimensional, but he's the least rounded of of all of these players. I would say. So, what are your thoughts on on him, like in that respect? I suppose in terms of the long term uh, impact that he might have, uh, because this does feel very much like a marsh ball option. Yeah, I would say. I think looking at him, I thought I've kind of thought he was the best for marsh ball, but I thought Castellanos was probably the best number nine, like overall. Um, I don't. I think. I. I don't think that Moffy wouldn't be good in a, in another system. But I just sort of thought his attributes really suited this this system. Uh, and I would say that he's more rounded than like Inketia, but he's not as rounded as Solanke or or Castellanos. I think he's he's sort of similarly rounded to uh, to Kitalara, but in different facets of the game like they're they're both better at different things to the other uh, and then i guess in terms of a, a deal on this one presumably it would be fairly easy for us to work a deal yeah I feel, I feel like he would be like 10 million which i think i think that would be pretty good like he's i can't remember they they got him for pretty cheap i think Lorient is what's it say that he went for just going to transfer mart right now live as we as i speak to you <laughs> He was no, he was seven million, which I, that's more than I thought he would be. Seven million euros, or no, that's in pounds. So maybe he would be like twelve million, I think, and they would feel pretty happy with that. I would say, like when you think of like I think there's always good value in France, and and that wouldn't feel like a lot for him. I would say we've talked a lot about moving between leagues. What do you make of the step between Liga and the Premier League? I think it's like a lot of players are doing done that well um i think with all these leagues i think forwards maybe find it the hardest um but i i don't tend to look at that and and be too too worried about it uh, i i think i think he he would probably find it easier to adapt than perhaps the last two that we've spoken about um even though i think they would be both very good i just think they would perhaps have a, a little bit of a slow start and so that rounds us out with the options that we've we've um, got. But I'm interested to hear the ordering that you would have of them. So let's assume that um, we're not going to rank Solanke and Inketia. Um How would you rank Decatalara, Castellanos and, and Moffi? And I guess maybe we should do two rankings. Maybe one should be 
fit wise uh, and then the other one should be in terms of likelihood of getting them and how you would as Victor Auto maybe approach the 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 process of of working through the list I think I would put I think I'd put Dakita Lara as third best fit because I think the lack in physicality uh, and the fact that he probably wants to be a little bit more of a deep line forward um I'll put him third and then I find it pretty hard to go. So I think Castellanos, I'm saying, is the most rounded. I think I'm going to say Moffy second and Castellanos first, but I wouldn't have an issue to flip that, really. I do think that Moffy's the best in terms of the fit, um, but equally I think it's like Castellanos would have no issue fitting with it and he's probably a bit better overall, so I think I'd give him the edge on that. Yeah, and I suppose that with Castellanos you've got a player who is going to fit most systems afterwards whereas with Moffy it's very one-dimensional in that respect yeah I, I yeah like I said I think he can cope in some other ones but I think he he would be best in the way that we're playing right now whereas I think Castellanos you could change to a posi- like a more possession style and it, and it would be no he would have no issues with it at all yeah and then in terms of how you would approach it as Victor Orta you've suggested that you know Decatalara is maybe going to be one of the harder ones to get anyway, given that he's in such high demand. Mm. How would you order this? Would you would you start off with with someone like Decatalara or or Castellanos and see how far you got in the negotiations and sort of bank on Moffy being an easy get? Yeah, I think so. I think I would. I think I'd put the feelers out with all three for sure, uh, and I would. But I think I would. I would sort of ask the question of Dikita Lara and then, you know, if you find out that they want 30 million euros for him, then you say, well, we probably won't go there. Um, or or you, or they come back and say, oh, we're holding out for a Champions League team. Um, that being their agent, uh, his agent, I mean, then you just go, oh, okay, no worries. But I think I would... I think I would try to push harder on on Castellanos, and like you say, I think Moffy. I think he is a a player that's well thought of. And last season, there was even talk of like, right, he will be gone after because he'd only just gone there the summer before. There was talk that he might not even be at Lorient for a second season. Um, so I think he will be a player that other teams are looking at. But I think his slightly poor finishing season might mean that he's a bit less in the uh, in demand than he might have been. So you could sort of wait to have him as your backup. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. It's been great fun chatting to you about these players, Josh. It's been great fun watching these players as well. Thanks for listening. Listeners, do get in touch and let us know what you thought of, of these players. Do let us know if you get the chance to watch these players, what you think of them as well. We'll be back in another month's time where we'll be covering another position, I suspect, probably one of the central midfield positions, um, either the defensive or the or the more attacking of the, those two positions. Josh, thanks again for coming on. It's been great chatting. Oh, yeah, thanks, mate. I'm, I look forward to I think I might have said we would do midfielders last time, so apologies if, if we... <laughs> did mislead people but strikers felt more um actually somehow felt more important at the moment after the way things had, have gone recently and yeah i enjoyed doing this one a lot yeah and you have our, our promise that we will be talking about center midfielders in some form in the next episode next month so do join us then and until then goodbye
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.